available for you. So back to gifts. Um, so we come together this morning by um, welcoming Sandra Davidson, who is first a friend and a colleague and a leader in the queer community, not only because of her work as a talented and respected leader in government, but because of all she represents in reaching up and out from the streets in her own life in helping others to grow from their conditions into the fullness and the lives of their calls and their expression of grace into this world. Sandy came to Suffolk County Department of Social Services where she currently serves as the Deputy Chief Commissioner for the Department of Social Services alongside Francis Pierre, the Commissioner of Social Services for Suffolk County. She came here from New York City, where she was the Director of Program Development for the Division of Child Protections for the New York City Administration for Children's Services. Uh, Sandy earned her MSW from Stony Brook University, and I am certain and sure of this, that her heart and her gifts, her talents and her deep soul were there long before any degrees were earned, and for that we are deeply grateful. So it is a privilege to welcome Sandy to the Suffolk Association of the United Church of Christ so that we can learn more about her work and the challenges we all share and consider ways in which we might support one another in our ministries, our lives together, and whatever we discover today that, that leads us in a direction. So please consider this, this time together a beginning and in an ongoing conversation and a collaboration yet to come. So now I welcome my, my dear and good friend, Sandy, and I'm grateful to introduce her to all of you. Sandy, welcome. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I hope I can live up to all of that on a Saturday morning. Um, first and foremost, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here in your presence. Um, the work uh, that Ray has talked about this committee and all, um, churches across Long Island really uh, has resonated with me because it's not something that I'm very used to from New York City, although, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, and I also wanna thank anyone and everyone who's been involved in the gift drives and the pack and play drives in the past. Um, we have already gone through 10 of them um, and for the pack and plays. Um, and it has been instrumental in really giving families opportunities to provide safe sleep environments for their babies. Um, I don't know if you know, but we have about uh, 50 between New York City and Suffolk County, and I'm trying to get the number for the state, um, children that die a year as a result of co-sleeping, which is preventable. Um, and it, it's a myriad of different reasons, but it is definitely a preventable um, death uh, that Pack and Plays has been shown and proven to be able to prevent. So we are very strong in making sure that families have opportunities um, to provide their babies with safe sleeping environments. So I just wanna start off with that. Um, as Ray said, um, I have been involved in child welfare for probably the last 20, going on 28 years. Um, and I was in foster care, I, not personally, I worked in foster care and I did prevention and I did research and analysis and. Um, and, and I fell in love with child protection and I did all this fantastic work. Um, and before that, as Ray had stated, um, you know, I was what you would consider a street kid. Um, you know, I grew up in a really uh, violent and abusive home and I wound up on the streets. And what I love to talk about is how the community really wrapped their arms around me um, and tried and did 
provide me with opportunities that um, I otherwise would not have had, which is mentorship, um, seeing things through a different light, um, giving me the opportunity for a different self-fulfilling prophecy. Because um, all of those things I didn't have, all of those things I honestly thought that, you know, I wasn't supposed to live another day and I didn't understand why I kept waking up. Um, and what I found was an opportunity uh, to really give back. So, you know, you, you get yourself together and you decide to go to college because, you know, that's what you do. Um, and then I entered the world of child welfare. And what I found myself was really connecting with families, really realizing that for the most part, the reasons why families come to the attention of social services is not because they're deadbeat. It's not because they don't want to. It's not because of all the things that you see in the media um, and that you that you talk about, but it really is that families are just struggling with everyday activities, with racial disparity, with oppression, with poverty, with mental health issues. Um, and as a community, we have a responsibility to really try to provide them with opportunities that they otherwise wouldn't have. Um, and I do that through speaking engagements and I do that through the work as well. Um, one of the areas that I'd love to talk to you about is foster care. Um, for those of you who don't know, we have 479 children currently in foster care in Suffolk County. And although that's a small number from where it used to be, for me, it's still a high number because I'm a true believer that children do best with families when they possibly can. And what we're finding in our current foster um, care capacity is um, foster parents have aged um, in regards to where they started. So we have foster parents that started with Suffolk County 20 years ago, and they have taken in over five, six, 700 children throughout their tenure of being a foster parent. And we are really having a difficult time uh, recruiting new foster parents. Um, and there's a myriad different reasons for that. And COVID has contributed a little bit to that, um, but it really is helping us get the word out. Um, and this is all ages. For the most part, we have about 60 kids in residential facilities that we need to step down um, into family style homes. And I don't know if how many of you are aware of what residential facilities are, but these are facilities where children have been placed for an intervention. So maybe their behavior was really struggling, they weren't going to school, maybe they were acting out, so forth and so on. And then they wind up in residential facilities. And what happens is they wind up staying in there, become institutionalized. Now guys, these are our kids, right? These are not kids that you know we see on TV with Red Cross Blue Shield advertisements, but these are our Suffolk County kids um, that I feel like we all have a responsibility to ensure that we provide nurturing opportunities for them. So now these kids are living in facilities where TVs are behind plexiglass and you know furniture is stapled to the ground and snacks are behind locked doors. And then when they finally do step down, they have absolutely no idea how to live in the environment, right? So they're asking permission to, to get something to eat where any of us just open up a refrigerator. Their refrigerators are locked. And it's not because they're criminals and it's not because they've got this outrageous behavior. It's because, you know, they're in residential settings where when children first come in, they maybe do need that type of environment, but at, after some point they don't. So I'm really looking for opportunities for my team to come out to the community and do foster parent recruitment. Um, we, like I said, we've got to get opportunities for these kids to step down from residential. 
And we also have to find opportunities for our youth that are currently in foster care to be in homes where they're stable. Right now we've got foster families and I, I'm so happy for them and I, and I really do appreciate them, but there are times when they can only hold a child for three, four months. I want you to imagine that the youth of a child, right? So the child is removed from their home. They are then put into a stranger's home. They don't know the lay of the land. And I don't know how many, how many of you have actually been like in a haunted house, right? Everybody's been in a haunted house. Imagine that at three, four, five years old, and that's where you're gonna stay, right? So you don't know where the bathroom is. You don't know where the food is. You don't know where your bed is. Everything is completely brand new. And when that happens to a child, three, four, five, six times, that child begins to become detached from society, right? Because they don't feel like they have any stable place to live. They're moving from pillar to post. And what we're really trying to, to find are foster homes that are willing to commit the time that's needed for that child's parent to get their, themselves together so that they can reunify, but be a stable placement for that kid. We offer a plethora of services to make sure that those children are stabilized, um, but we're really hoping for opportunities to come out to the community and really talk to folks um, and work with us in becoming foster families. I'm going to stop there for any questions on the foster families. Uh, Donna, do you have a question? What uh, what does it pay in Suffolk County? Uh, what does a foster parent get per child? So a foster parent isn't paid to do the job. The <laughs> money is allocated to the child. It will help you pay uh -huh. for electric. It'll help you pay for food. It'll help you pay for things. But the, the, the reason why you're getting the stipend is specifically for the, the child. Uh -huh. um, there are different rates. Um, if a child doesn't require any type of additional services, so for example, if the child um, doesn't require therapy three times a week, or um, there's different rates depending on the needs of the child, that would be the rate upon which the foster parent would be paid. I believe, and don't quote me, I believe the rate is somewhere between seven and 800 for a child that doesn't have special needs, and then it can go all the way up to about 12, 1300 a month. Again, depending. That's what I thought. Thank you. Just, I was just wondering if that had changed in any way. Thanks. It did. I wish it did. Considering the cost of living, um, I wish it did. You know, even like the, you also get for every season, a foster parent gets $200 for clothes. Um, you know, what we encourage is for prudent parenting, right? And, and for most times, teenagers, you know, they want a $200 pair of sneakers. Well, there goes all the money. So um, yeah, but that is all that we can provide. And then that's when we really look to the community again to offer opportunities for additional resources for foster parents. Do, um, this is Mary. Does it often happen that a foster situation could turn into an adoptive situation? Yeah, absolutely it can. Um, we currently have about a 60% rate of children returning to their parents. Um, and I am, I'll be honest, I'm hopeful that I can get that number up. Um, we don't have a lot of preventive services here in Suffolk County, which is something I'm working on implementing over the next five years to really provide opportunities for families 
to prevent the government from coming in um, and preventing the crisis, because by the time we get involved, it's already to the point where the children are not safe. Um, so, but yes, there are opportunities. November 19th, um, we're doing adoption day and we actually have 19 children being adopted. The youngest is one and the oldest is 17. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Sandy, is this a time to talk about the, um, the drive for the holidays or you wanna do that later? Cause that relates to foster care, right? It relates to children and out-of-home placement. Yeah, I was going to go right into that next, but I just wanted to pause because I can continue talking and then forget to ask questions. <laughs> okay, so again, reach out to me if you have any questions about foster care and if you would like to have my team come out and do a presentation. They're amazing uh, and they'll come out on Saturday, Sunday evenings. Doesn't matter. Uh, the team will come out and do a, a presentation on foster parent recruitment. Um, so moving into the holiday drive, for the first time in Suffolk County, uh, we did a holiday drive for children. Um, we have 479 children in foster care, uh, but there are other children who are not living with their parents, and that is under a different legal status, and that's close to 600. So in Suffolk County, we have a little over a thousand children not living with their families. Some of them are also not living with their siblings because of a myriad of also different reasons. Um, and what we did last year is the holiday drive was to obtain um, opportunities for these kids to get something new. Most of the kids in out-of-home placement get hand-me-downs, right? It's hand-me-down this, and I've got a pair of jeans over here, and I got a pair of sneakers over here, or whatever the case may be. But this holiday drive last year was the first opportunity that Suffolk really provided opportunities for these kids to get new items and their wish list. The other two things that we do with the holiday drive is we offer opportunities um, for the kids to ask for what they want to give their parent or caretaker. So these kids don't have allowances of $25, $30, $40, right? And we want to offer them prudent parenting. We want to offer them opportunities to experience life. And that means the experience of exchange. Right, we want to say to them, an older teen, what is it that you would like to give your foster parent or your parent or your caretaker? We're also offering the younger kids opportunities to come into our office. And for those that have supervised visits, because our older teens for the most part don't have supervised, it's it's more the younger. But have the younger kids come into our office and get a pair of mittens or something, wrap it and be able to give it to their mom or dad during a supervised visit, having that gift of exchange. And then the third area that we're working on is asking the youth, what do they want to give their sibling? Because again, if you think about your own holiday moments, right, you're not just giving it to the kid, but it's an exchange. It's teaching that moment of reciprocation and exchange. And we want to give those opportunities to the kids. So what we did last year, and we're going to continue to do this year, is um, we get the list of kids, the list of items that we, uh, for the kids, and we put them into Amazon. Um, and then everyone, because everyone's doing everything virtual. I mean, all of you have been amazing with this technology. Um, so everyone wants to shop from home, most. So we put the gifts on Amazon and you can go ahead and purchase gifts that specifically children have asked for. You will not know the children's names because of confidentiality. Um, and I personally will not know who donated because of, of um, ethical reasons. 
So we do have someone that manages the account and then signs a contract that they will not give us the information about those parties that are also donating. Um, we could do it through Amazon. Um, we also just do gift drives. Um, if anyone would like to start a gift drive um, where uh, we do have families that come to our attention throughout the year under investigations. Um, and those families too struggle with poverty. Uh, and we try to offer them opportunities, although we may not know them for a long time, uh, to really come in and identify items that they might want to give to their kids. And I'll give you an example. Um, we had a family of nine children, which is huge. I also have a family of 19, but they're not all together. And I, 19 children, yes. Um, but we had a family of nine and we, the commission and I had taken them out for dinner and something, it really, it caught us off guard because for me, even being in, in the field for 28 years, no one's ever said this. The mom pulled us to the side and we took the seven out to dinner and the mom pulled us to the side and said, thank you. We've never been out together for dinner because she was never able to afford going out to dinner with the entire family. And although it's, it's, it's helping us recognize not to look at families through the lens of privilege, right? So it was an amazing opportunity. And that's what I'm gonna instill in the continuing for the holiday drive is helping the staff and helping the community to look at families in need, not through the eyes of privilege and to be able to afford them opportunities to not have hand-me-downs. So uh, we're gonna continue that this year. Um, so if anyone would like to partake in that, um, I'll have the link for the Amazon gift drive probably in the next three weeks. We're starting to get the list for the kids now. Um, and you can also purchase things on Amazon that are not on the list uh, that you know from your own families that kids love. Um, you can just purchase them too. Last year, we got um, a lot of stuffed animals. We got Surface Pros. We got a lot of bikes. Uh, we got a hoverboard, which was really scary. Um, we got, I thought I was going to get sued. I actually have to have kid and the parents sign off that they're not going to sue us. Um, we got, I mean, we really did get a ton of clothes. Um, Spider-Man, it, it just, it was amazing. My office looked like the Amazon, um, still like the, the warehouse for Amazon. My entire office was stacked with Amazon to the point where no lie, I had to go to another office and work because the entire office was stacked. It was just absolutely amazing experience. And then we had a young boy named Timothy um, who went around his neighborhood and he too um, collected toys. It was over 500 toys that he collected for these kids. Um, so again, it's just an amazing opportunity to give back um, and to give kids who you truly know um, through DSS um, are in need. Um, so it's not just dropping it off to someone and not really knowing whether or not it's going to get to a family. Um, but get, knowing that these kids are in need. So I'll stop there. Questions, comments? Sandy, I'm just wondering, are you still collecting um, gift cards like Target and so forth? Yes, absolutely. And those are the easiest ones for the older teens and also for families that come known to us around the holidays and we're just not able to get them the gifts on the registry. Ray, when you make the recording, would it be a bit, could you put a slide in with the contact information for Sandy? Yes, I will send Sandy's contact information out to everybody. 
I'm curious from everybody gathered, is this, is this something that you think your congregations, um, as well as you personally, would be able to help with? I would like to make sure the recording goes to our mission team. I think it's a, it's a wonderful way if we can remain in contact, maybe, uh, Sandy, I'm not sure, but if you, if there's a way of sending out, you know, what, what you guys are focusing on or what your needs are throughout the year, we can, uh, as we are able, you know, we can always jump in and help with this and maybe two months later help with that and so on. That'd be great. I can do that. I, I will make sure that Sandy's information and the links and everything gets to Mary and to Anne and, you know, we can get it out to everybody. Um, and then you can share it as, as you would. Um, and then I also wanted to mention on the foster care, we, we had a town hall save the last year where the foster Sandy's team came in and we did live streaming um, for a group. There was a group gathered and we live streamed as well. And that that foster care presentation also qualified as the first step for those who um, were, were in the process of seeking approval to become foster parents. Um, so um, we'll include all of that in, in the follow-up to today, as well as the other things we talk about. Question on going back to foster care is, um, Ray was saying on the first step, so is there training? So if people were interested, but they didn't feel comfortable with, you know, maybe they've never raised children or anything, is there a training to help them be more comfortable in doing this type of um, service? There is. There is a 10-week course uh, that all foster, foster parents are mandated to engage in. And uh, you are assigned uh, various caseworkers to help you through that process. I like you, um, I've never raised a child in that statement, right? I've never raised a child. Um, I've only raised animals and I always say like, I'm deathly afraid. Uh, it is extremely, um, it's, it's a big responsibility to take on a human being, regardless if you've birthed your own or you've, you're taking on a foster. Um, but I now mentor foster kids because just my lifestyle doesn't allow for me to become a foster parent because I work too much. Um, it is an absolutely amazing experience. And no matter how much training you get, you're never prepared. <laughs> um, but the love that you get back from these kids and you jump through hurdles, you know, there's some behavior things that you're just like, whoa, 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 whoa. what's going on? Because, you know, they take things to the 10th level. Um, but at the end of the day, it is these kids that I'm mentoring that, I have to be honest, every week they check on me. It's really weird. So for years I've checked on them and now the tables have turned and they're checking on me. And it's, it really is fantastic. We, um, for the last five years with the exception of COVID and now I'm bringing it to Suffolk County, we bring uh, LGBTQ self-identified foster youth to Cherry Grove. And we all broke down the first year that we brought the kids because one, again, it's, it's looking through the eyes of privilege. One of the kids said two things. One, I didn't know my kind was allowed out here in Suffolk County because they happened to be a person of color. And the second thing that he said was when we, broke, when we brought them to the ocean, 
a couple of them broke down and cried because they had never seen the ocean before. And it's that simple. It doesn't cost money. It's that's the simple things that we can give kids that changes their lives. And those are the opportunities that foster parents can give kids, giving them opportunities that they may not otherwise would have gotten because of the environmental issues and the parental issues that their that their existing environments would have had. So um, it, it's really been an amazing experience. Again, I'm not caring for them on a 24 hour basis, although sometimes I feel like I am. They're just, uh, it's an amazing opportunity to really give back and then at the end of the day um receive back we had one foster parent who comes to all of our orientations to talk she has fostered over 800 children she adopted four we have another that fostered over 600 kids and she adopted 14. um and i they're saints they're just amazing saints and they've turned the lives around of children that without a doubt we're headed towards the criminal justice system. And because of her nurturing, um, just changed their lives around. And some of those kids now work for the county as, as child protective workers to give back. So those are the influences that the community can have on our kids, Suffolk kids, nobody else, Suffolk kids. Are there opportunities to volunteer to work with uh, children, not necessarily as a foster parent, but maybe you know, on an outing like that? So Suffolk does not yet have those opportunities. However, uh, there are other mentorship programs that do have those opportunities, such as Big Brothers, Big Sisters, Boys and Girls Club. Um, and one of the things I've been telling folks is if you're interested in incorporating that into your community to reach out to those providers to see how you could become a chapter uh, within their organizations because they already have an established training curriculum. They already have an established protocol of how to get cleared. Um, I'm working on it with the state, um, but if any of you know, working with the state or the federal government takes a long time. So I cannot promise anything in the next couple of months. I'm hopeful in the next year, I'll have a mentorship program up and running for Suffolk County through DSS, um, but it's not something I can offer now as something through the department. That doesn't mean that as a chapter, you can't seek that out from some of the organizations that already exist. Um, but I couldn't do that through Suffolk DSS. We're getting there. We're gonna, we're gonna become the best Department of Social Services in the state. I guarantee it. I just have to take all of New York City's ACS money. That's, that's all I have to do. <laughs> Sandra, is there a age limit for foster parenting? I imagine there is, and if no, okay. I was thinking if it, so, then maybe there'd be a foster grandparent kind of. So that's one of the things that I was thinking of, right, was to actually do a grandparent mentorship program because I think grandparents lend an opportunity for, um, there's a nurturing um, aspect to grandparenting that doesn't come from parenting. It's different right? There's no, there's the discipline part of it really kind of goes, not that it goes out the window, but there's a different relationship between a grandparent and a child. So to your point, I'm actually trying to, I have some research that it's been done in England. Um, 
It's been done in a few other countries. So I'm bringing that research together to present it to the state as an opportunity to, to start that up in Suffolk County. Uh, but as it relates to foster parents, um, there is no age limitation. However, you know, we do talk with folks and say, um, you know, if you're looking for an infant, this is the kind of work that goes into caring for an infant. If you're looking for a toddler, this is what kind of goes into it, special needs. So we talk with them, so make, make sure that that person's making an informed decision about whether or not to engage in the process. Uh, we also have, unfortunately, a number of children with special needs uh, that we cannot find foster homes for. Um, you know, they are children on a spectrum. I'm sure that you're aware uh, Suffolk County does not have a plethora of residential facilities for children on the spectrum. And we are really trying hard to keep children in the community so that they maintain ties with their parents and siblings. Um, there are residential placements out of state, um, but that is a hardship on families and it really does break the bond that a child has with their parent. Um, so. Uh, that is another area that we are really seeking out assistance for in foster parents, um, even if it's just for respite, which would be like two, three weeks. Sometimes parents just need a break, um, and understandably so. We don't have opportunities like that out here in Suffolk. Um, there's only a few residential Mary Haven closed. It's only DDI, but any other questions? Um, and the only other um, area I would ask for your assistance, and it has nothing to do with the Department of Social Services, it just happens to be just a, a community communication um, about really finding opportunities to help those within the communities that you're in. Um, so much of what's happening is due to COVID, but we can prevent crises just by interrupting the day of a person, um, asking them if they're okay, giving them opportunities for breaks. Um, again, it's you know identifying um, opportunities for older youth to engage in something other than criminal. Um, for example, Mastic, you know, there's a ton of teens in Mastic who are really struggling to not cross that boundary of going into criminal behavior. And it really is that there's not much to do there um, other than that. And they'd have to travel all the way to Bellport for the Boys and Girls Club. Um, you know, it's really coming together as a community and asking those in need, what do they need um, in order to be successful? Um, asking youth, how do they define success and finding opportunities and advocating with your legislators um, to, to encourage them to bring these opportunities to families in need in your communities. Um, for those of you who don't know, we have four areas of major concern across Long Island. Um, it has these four areas have the highest rate of child maltreatment, the highest rate of criminality, the highest rate of removal. That is Brentwood Bayshore, uh, Mastic Shirley, um, the Patchogue area, and Riverhead. Um, so we are targeting a lot of effort into addressing the needs of those communities because we have got to stop the intergenerational issues of poverty, child maltreatment, and criminality. It's just, it's not going to stop. Um, so if any of you have influences in those areas, please know that that is your data. Um, 
and that I can, I can share with you. Um, but we're really trying to work hard and affording opportunities to those families to stop um, some, of the, some of those issues that are going on because it's just, it's prevalent in those areas. Can you give us some examples of things that have been tried? Um, so mentorship programs, um, after school programs, um, outreach. Um, I think that there is room for improvement in uh, the use of technology and social media. I'm not coming from New York City. If I were to Google um, the need for something in a particular area, most communities have a board that just, it comes up. I, there's, I can just easily find community resources. It has been increasingly difficult to find what opportunities and community resources there are in some of the high need areas. Um, most of what's on the internet is either obsolete, old, the numbers don't work, the people don't work there anymore. So I think in my experience in child welfare, what has worked is making sure that the community resources are publicly known. It is not that way out here. Um, there's not a lot of face, public Facebooks. There's not a lot of Twitter. There's not, there's not, there's not. And I think that that's something that's free. The only thing is, is you need to find someone that's technologically savvy to make sure that they're keeping it up and so forth. But um, that is what has worked. Um, I think also what has worked is events that targets the needs of the community. So one of the things that I talked about is, you know, co-sleeping in the care of infants is um, you can teach people that, right? Because you can go to a parenting class, but that doesn't teach you um, a lot of the things that, that happens once the baby's born. Hosting things like, I know this sounds silly, but baby showers, right? Community baby showers. Um, and, um, you know, affording opportunities for seminars for people to learn how to take care of their babies, um, for fathers, right? We don't do a really good job engaging fathers. So those are just some of the things that I know has worked from my experiences um, and that we're incorporating here in Suffolk. I've been out here for a year now, a little over a year. Um, so that's what's worked community-wise. Sandy, I really appreciate your presentation today. Uh, uh, I'm a, uh, working with hospice and they have uh, summer camps. It's been on hold now with the pandemic, but uh, you know, when uh, people lose uh, family members, uh, I don't know, um, you talked about the example of the, of the child that went to the ocean. If, uh, if any summer camps uh, have been uh, in your orbit, because I, I serve these communities in Patchogue, Mastic, and Shirley. So summer camps are, are something, right? The, the department for social services wouldn't have them, right? We wouldn't house them within our own department. But I, I do think that is an amazing opportunity for kids to realize there's more than just what they see in their neighborhood, right? They can, they can be more, they can do more, they can gain interests in things. The one thing I would say though is with summer camps is once you engage them in an activity, when summer camp is over, 
the community has to find opportunities for that to be ongoing. So it, for kids that it's a one and done, so it's great that they're doing something every summer, but what do you want them to do to exert their energy elsewhere other than negative activity? Uh, and I, you know, Mastic Shirley, I mean, that area, it's beautiful. And I'm not sure if the community has found a way to really help the residents see the beauty of Mastic Shirley in a way that's helpful to everyone. Does that make sense? I, I appreciate just, you know, some of your thoughts on that because uh, we have these, uh, you know, I do bereavement with hospice and these programs for the, for the children. Uh, and uh, the management now, we're, we're being taken over by New York Langone. So they're, they're going to uh, hopefully provide some resources, but uh, they're, they're, the management is just interested in trying to, to help, you know, children with their grief process. And, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's not only grief within their own family, it, it, you know, you have grief because of gang activity. You have grief because of the trauma they've experienced in that way. So um, looking at grief isn't only about losing a relative, but it really is all of the other trauma that they've endured through the loss of a loved one in their lives, which is, if not more traumatic, than losing a loved one through a normal natural process. Uh, through my hospital work, uh, I've done a lot with uh, 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 the, the big drug is, uh, you know, uh, heroin addicts. Have you run into that much in terms of what you're talking about with this? The opioid addiction is very strong here in Suffolk County. Um, I do have to say in child welfare, we have seen a lot of overdoses, but survived overdoses. I know that for, I know in the homeless population, however, they've had quite a few overdoses that have resulted in death. Um, and I don't know what the underlying factor is in the, why there's a distinction. Um, I can't say, um, but the, it is a strong, there was one Sunday where we, it was an, I don't know if it was an anomaly or the times are coming, um, we had five overdoses just on one Sunday where children were in the car. Um, and then uh, the other one is alcoholism. Um, the one thing that is very unique here in Suffolk County is there is absolutely no transportation. <laughs> uh, you can't really get anywhere unless you have a car, which again, through the eyes of privilege, right? So for alcoholics or even just people who drink, if you're in the city and you drink and you have your kids with you, you get on a subway and you get home, right? And if someone happens to see you stumble with your kids, the cops are called. But out here in Suffolk, you drive. So you're, the, the lives of children are put at so much higher risk here in Suffolk when someone is under the influence with their child because they're in a vehicle. So there is a very high rate of driving while intoxicated with children which was very different for me because that's not something that I saw in New York. And just definitely something that we have to address here in Suffolk County. It's just, again, it's a preventable act. It's saying, you know, trying to do more campaigning around, you know, if you're drunk, here's Uber, you know, finding opportunities for programs to maybe do that for free. I think Patchog has one for free or they used to. I heard something about it, some kind of rumblings about it. Mm. Uh, but again, 
you know, when the community identifies a problem, you can prevent things, but you've got to come together and come up with ideas and strategies of how to do that. Because at the end of the day, the victim is the child. They're vulnerable. They don't have any say in that. But the community really can come together and do those types of things. So to your point of the opioid addiction. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your presentation. The, the other the other day I noticed a headline and it uh, you know the clickbait um, it said uh, the the death of the death of optimism it was an editorial in New York Times death of optimism RIP and I thought <clears throat> you know that's just these headlines we can't live by headlines because people are going to walk away thinking that uh, oh my god because that's all they read sometimes and as I'm listening to you um, and some other things but listening to you today I I want to uplift the um, optimism and the encouragement and the joy of you and others like you in government who, who have not lost their sense of optimism or hope or encouragement or determination or energy, even as it sometimes nears exhaustion because of the work you do, that, that you are very important to us in terms of um, maintaining hope and optimism and we're sort of in the the profession where that's at the core of the things we do and we hold on to and to, to see uh you and to have you here and talking about these things as a as a leader in our government um just reminds us how how far spread optimism and hope and this work is so thank you for representing that to us today as well there's a there's a great deal of interest here on uh, and I know it's a big topic, but could you touch on human sex trafficking and just maybe as we come to a close and then encourage people to, you know, as you say, to contact you to get this conversation going, because that's what this is meant to do today. So, yeah, absolutely. So uh, one of the data that I have learned since I've come out here is Suffolk County hat is not the but has some of the highest rates of human trafficking in the country. Um, and their SCADI, I'm not sure how many of you know, SCADI was created out here and it really did bring institutions and cross systems together to address some of this work and Suffolk DSS is involved in that. Um, we, for the child side, uh, we have a dedicated uh, liaison and team that addresses that. So for every family that comes into contact with child welfare is actually screened for human trafficking um, because it is so rampant. Um, and, and it's all domestic, it's not international. It is within our own doors here. Um, and we ensure that when we identify red flags, uh, that we connect them with different organizations across Long Island that address those like ECLI, EAC, like I said, SCADI, and there's some other underground programs that are trying to deal with it, Safe Harbor. Um, and we do that kind of work. Uh, we meet uh, pretty regularly with SCADI to come up with other ideas to address these concerns. Again, um, uh, technology is, is really the area that uh, seems to be lacking the most in Suffolk County. And we're working together to come up with flyers with opportunities to reach victims of trafficking and also to try to find opportunities for the community to recognize signs of trafficking. Um, we've got to get to the point where we're changing the culture in which we see women of the night or men of the night. Um, most of them, most, and I want to say most, are not doing it 
because they want their own hustle on the side. Most are being, are being tricked out or are, are working the streets for some other man. We, what's ironic is we just currently had a case um, where the father considered himself an OG pimp. Um, he branded his girls and this is all in Suffolk County. Um, and we're trying to learn from him about the business so that we can have a better understanding of what we're looking for in the community. But it is here in Suffolk and it is strong. Um, and we've got to do a much better job in educating you all on how to identify those signs so that you can help someone when it's recognized. Oh, uh, the profile of, of youth that are um, targeted for sex trafficking are not necessarily who we might think they are when we start talking about many of the populations you serve, are they? Not in any way, shape or form. Primarily, they are white middle class kids. Um, so one of the areas that we look to is identifying children who are struggling with their own self-esteem. They're looking for someone to verify that they exist. And I think that one of the things that has created opportunities for predators is our drive um, for two working families, our drive to keep children busy all the time, um, which, and I know this sounds strange, but it exposes them to a lot more strangers. Um, and I'm not saying don't have children after school programs, but I think that um, as a community, we have to recognize um, that our kids need attachments to families. I think that our youth have lost trust in adults in the people that are close to them in their lives and they're keeping secrets. Um, so again, it's, again, I keep going back to the sense of community. Um, when I was growing up, I trusted no one until a few in the community worked hard at breaking down my wall. And then when I trusted them, they saved my life. And I think we have a responsibility to do that now with our community members and making sure that our youth recognize that whether they're your family members or whether it's the church or whether it's, it's wherever they go, that they can come to you for safety and that you'll know what to do. Um, so yeah, it's your, your white middle-class kids that are the primary targets. And, uh... Thank you. We are, we're coming up on our, our 10, 10 o'clock um, sort of time zone, timeline here, but we have a few minutes. Uh, again, I want to thank Sandy. Thank you so much. Um, I, I, I would like to take the privilege of, of inviting you to count us among your community um, in all the ways we can help. Are there any questions you'd like to ask Sandy before we close to honor this morning's time? I don't have a question. I do want to say thank you. It was a great presentation. Thank you. Anything you need from me to spread the word, I am willing and able um, to do. Have you ever been a call to worship before? That's what this is. <laughs>
congratulations. Hey. <laughs> Very thankful. That's the way we roll. If there are no other questions, I want to, I know Sandy has many other places to do. I really want to thank you and your very busy schedule for finding time to be with us this morning. And um, so we will let you go, but I want to give you thanks from all of us. And uh, I know we'll be in touch. Absolutely. Thank you very thank you. much. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving.